Welcome to the Husky Hockey Podcast, your number one resource to remind you that you could always heed the words of Allison Cross and say it best when you say nothing at all. And Fenton, <laughs> commissioner of the NCHC, he should have said nothing at all versus the statement that he pulled out after Saturday's game because it was absolutely ridiculous. Diving right in. Uh, well, I mean, oh, okay, yeah, I suppose we should. We should. Weldy, Andrew here talking Huskies hockey, but, you know, ever, ever, everybody's talking about it. So, yeah, let, let, let's just get into the just absolute travesty of what happened on the ice on, on Saturday um, at the end of the game. Um, McLaughlin just absolutely hauls Perbix down in his own end. No call in overtime, three on three, and turnover. McLaughlin's even looking around behind him like, oh, dang, and oh, wow, there's there, there's no call. And, and ends up making a play over to Sammy Walker, who, I mean, Rennick had nothing nothing he could do there. It was just, uh, and we'll get to we'll get to Fenton's comment and his little most backhanded like smack at St. Cloud State fans, and we'll get get to that in a second. But you know, just overall, you know, the whole series with the Gopher series and whatnot, it was a fiery series. It was pretty much everything that it was it was hyped up for. But God, that ending just kind of soured it, and it was just. It was it, it was tough to have a good feeling about the weekend, even though I mean, in all intents and purposes, there's not a ton of damage done to St. Cloud. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head there. In that, I'm very frustrated that that this play is what defined what I thought was a, a fun weekend of hockey, both games. And yeah, where to start? Uh, well, first of all, it 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 was a penalty. It was clearly a penalty. I mean, the league went on record saying as much. It was not a dive, uh, contrary to the haughty assertion of Bob Bob Motzko. Um, and even if you're going to say it is a dive, uh, the play should have been whistled dead at that point. And maybe, yeah, maybe I should have t- said that uh, Motzko should have listened to Allison Cross and then <laughs> that he should have said nothing at all because, uh, like, it it absolutely blew my mind that he just flat out said, first off, called him that kid, which already was just a, a slap in the face to somebody he recruited. Um, and not only that, but his brother plays on the Gophers right. who have obviously a parent on the team and you're – so in the sense you're calling a parent of the son, you know, a parent of somebody on your team, you know, you're calling their other son a diver. And like, I would be absolutely livid, um, you know, and, and, and who knows, you know, if anything was said or anything along those lines, but for Matt, for Motsko, just to flat out call that a couple of years ago when he was talking about how she, he went, was hauled down and she he was hauled down and he was just saying oh everybody knows that was a penalty and that wasn't called now she was on another foot and he's like oh that was a dive and it's just you didn't you didn't have to go that route you know just that's just any goodwill that i actually had towards you know my last episode when i talked about how he left the program and it better it's just like he he just kind of reignited that fire after the end of 
you know, our last podcast session when we talked about, you know, his sudden departure after Air Force. You know, this kind of just all of a sudden came back bubbling ahead, and I got so frustrated again that he would just call out our players like that. Somebody who obviously is, you know, in in a three-on-three hockey setting, 200 feet from the goal, you know, deep in your own end, no one's going to dive in that situation. That's the thing that boggles my mind more than anything else is that you have a chance. You have open ice in front of you. You've got the puck. You've got to step on the defender. And you have a possible three-on-one going the other way. And who would take a dive in that situation? Absolutely nobody would, especially if you're on the ice. The coach trusts you on a three-on-three format in a rivalry game. And, you know, you, you get Walker's goal and, you know, late, tie it up. Um, and it was just, it was just so frustrating that, that to see him hauled down and the ref just going, nope, nope, not, not a call dive. And then sure enough, it, it, it bites us just shortly after that. And just, oh, just classless comments by Motsko afterwards. It was just ridiculous. Yeah, so you got that, um, and it happens right away in overtime, 20-some seconds in. And it is just kind of a, I mean, especially the after the Huskies scored, about five minutes to go, that last five minutes, the best action of the weekend, I thought. Uh, and so going into overtime, now I'm at that point, Still scrambling because they're saying three on three. So I text you, are they still, what, what is the overtime format, which is a yearly now we got to do something with changing overtime rules on a yearly basis now, or it's semi yearly basis. You need a flow chart to follow it every year. You need a flow chart of what's, what's going on. I have been a close watcher of college hockey for 20 years more than that. Um, and I'm not even a hundred percent sure what exactly the actual implications of the, of, of the overtime rules are. And I don't think that announcers know what the deal is. Uh, people who write about the sport for a living seem to not know. Some of them at least do not know. I mean, I'm, I'm reading the USCHO weekend review and this was on there, and of course, and but then another headline was Bemidji State gains a split against North Dakota. No, they didn't actually. They won in overtime the same the same way. And as far as I am led to believe, you told me, and and the other good college hockey writers have have written, this does not count as a full win. Whereas in the past, when we played a five on five overtime session. An, o- an overtime goal in that first five-minute, five-on-five session would result in 100% of a win for the team that w- scored and a 0% of a win for the team that lost. That's changed now. This counts as 55% of a win for Minnesota and 45% of a win for St. Cloud. In, if it was a tie... In the RPI. If it was a tie, which is the one of the main uh, formulas... That compute that is used to compute the pairwise rankings, which are the rankings that 
are the main criterion for the committee to select the tournament field at the end of the year. The USHCHL poll that we've talked about and kind of laugh about has no meaning at all. Still Sloshman hanging on to that number one Denver, though. Is he? I didn't oh, yeah. check today, but... I, yep. Well, I'm sure you hit the, the route over Air Force only cements his opinion. Anyway, uh, the pairwise is what matters for, for tournament purposes. A tie is 50-50. So this, this gained the Gophers five percentage points in pairwise over a roughly 40-game schedule, in, which is going to, yeah. to to be the sample size for the end of the year pairwise. And the RPI. This is a, this is a minuscule mm-hmm. effect. On, on the actual game. Because this it, is what it, it still counts as a tie in head-to-head, and it counts as a tie in common opponents. So I, you know, I think a lot of people are overlooking those two factors. So we still win the comparison head-to-head um, over the Gophers, and obvious, for common opponents, that's going to be huge when Minnesota plays, you know, the Michigans and, and uh, you know, our, you know, upcoming against Wisconsin. Um, okay, I, I did not. I did not know that. Yeah. So yeah. in the head-to-head comparison, this goes into the. If you check the pairwise on CHN, it's going to say one zero and one. Yes. The go the St. Cloud versus the Gophers, because if you look on the on the standings, uh, the overall standings, it says four and two for the Huskies. Correct. And it says yep. three as and a standings one for the Gophers. only for an overall record, it counts as a loss, a fall. Okay, we're we're getting into my frustration here. Indeed. Um, 100%. Because you're you're saying that you know some people don't understand the the difference here. Josh Fenton didn't seem to understand the difference in his statement when he claimed they're only making the statement. We'll get more into this later, but I'm just using this as an example of also announcers and whatnot making too much of this. And he says we only made this statement because of the gravity of the situation. No, this this affected five percent of a win. To keep that in mind, St. Cloud would have to lose 20 overtime games to to equal one full loss in pairwise. So it really doesn't matter that much. I, I realize from an emotional standpoint, just from a entertainment uh, satisf- satisfaction standpoint, the game couldn't have ended on a more sour note. And that's a, that's very important. The, 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 the call should not completely go ignored here. It was a gutless call. I will also say I, I'm wondering, and I'm I'm almost willing to to bet that the fact that overtime isn't that big of a deal is probably a it probably factored into the non-call. If this was the old rules where it's five on five and it's winner take all all RPI points, he might be more willing to make that call. But because it is relatively meaningless, um he might be willing to let him play at that point. Still, terrible call, full stop. Not not uh not going to let that slide. But yeah, the the overtime is so convoluted. I mean, I was explaining this to my brother and just even saying the 55-45 math aspect of it, I am confused halfway through trying to explain it. Um and I just have to keep it simple to say that this was essentially a tie. Um but, and from St. Cloud's perspective, one of the post-game, among the post-game comments from Matsko that I actually agreed with is that the Gophers outplayed the Huskies. And I thought the Gophers played outplayed the Huskies all weekend. 
And I'm concerned for the Husky standpoint that we're just going to latch on to, ah, we were screwed. You know, the refs, you know, really stuck it to us there. We need to look at the game here to see how the Gophers were able to expose some of the Huskies' weaknesses and hopefully use that to improve the team going forward. And I'm wondering if this whole controversy is we're losing that thread uh, in the conversation in, in the conversation because of this whole farce that happened after the game. I don't I'll also know, say, you know, I, I I just want to say I I don't know if I would say that the golfers really outplayed, especially on Saturday. I thought for I thought it was a fairly even contest. Um, and I thought the Huskies the Huskies outplayed him in the first and yeah. the last five minutes of the third. I thought the the rest of the game, the Gophers won. The Gophers played better on Friday. Uh, I I thought that the Huskies really only had one 10-minute period, well, the first 10 minutes of the second period on Friday that they controlled the play. I thought the Huskies kind of stole one uh, on Friday. Um, they play, Yeah, the Huskies played better on Saturday. Um, but uh, I thought, on the whole, in the weekend, gotcha. uh, a win and a quasi-tie, is a damn, good, a damn good result for the Huskies sure. based on how they played. Yeah, because the the Gophers, especially you know on Saturday's game, that second period, I felt like I felt like the Huskies were just skating in mud. I mean, they looked all out of sorts, and you know, I I, I was thinking as that as that period was kind of was moving along that. Man, if we can get out of the second period tied 1-1, that'll be just huge. That'll be just a huge gift. And then about 20 seconds later, Bryce scores. Um, and so I was like, you know, even 2-1 to one after, you know, how badly we were outplayed in the second. It's... And the same thing there with the third when Pert ties it up really quick, less than a minute later, Gophers go right back ahead 3-2. to two. It was, uh, yeah, again, after that first period, which was the best period they played all weekend, you know, the Huskies, it really was, I thought, I thought the Gophers were the better team on the ice. They impressed me this weekend. I I didn't expect to see this good of a Gopher team. Uh, they're going to be a tough team to play this year. So, I, again, I, I was I was blown away with the Myers, Nyes, and Lucius line. I thought that line easily was the best line of the weekend. I thought they were absolutely dominant anytime that they said I heard Knives' name all Saturday. Yeah, side note, uh, if you would have asked me before the weekend who Chaz Lucius is, I think I would have guessed he's a 70s porn star. <laughs> um, impressive hockey player, though. Uh, and I agree, he was dynamic on the ice. That and I agree with Nizen that that line. Yeah, no, they're a they're a quality team. I thought the weak spot for them, I mean, if we can sort of meld this in, and again, we'll we're we're going back and forth here. We'll we're gonna circle around the call, the controversy, and try to contextualize that within the the whole weekend as well. Um, but that Friday game was. Uh, I thought a bit of a, a Duluth type game from the Husky standpoint where uh, get outplayed 
you convert on your turnovers. Both of the goals uh, that the Huskies scored were were based off of turnovers. The first goal was a cough up at the line by Lacombe. Cranola goes in on a breakaway and scores. Second, I'm not sure who the turnover was. Pert, give him credit. I think he, he looked better this weekend. I thought, he, was, I thought he had a great weekend after. He we got of off to a rough start. He got off to a rough start on Friday. He took another bad penalty right away. But after that, I thought he looked much better and obviously getting his first goal on Saturday. Um, so he starts transition on that second goal. Uh, Mason Sulquist, uh, another game winner, second week in a row. He's got the, the what ends, turns out to be the game-winning goal. Mason Sulquist, I should say, cue scary music, 21-year-old freshman. So yeah, and 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 the, then the Huskies withstand a late a late charge by the Gophers in the third. They nearly tie it up. Kind of had a, an open net opportunity at the last seconds that they whiff on. And like I said, I think you, you kind of stole one there. And I thought for the weekend, I thought the the player that was the most the weakest link for the Gophers up until that last five minute stretch on Saturday was Lafontaine. It's expecting more out of him. I thought he was kind of shaky. Um, Pretty juicy on the rebounds. Um, the Solquist goal was was a bit of a bleeder. Uh, not much he could do on the on the breakaway goal on Friday, but uh, I wasn't overly impressed with him. And kind of he's got a lot of hype um, coming into the season. And he did step up that last five minutes after the Huskies tied it on Saturday. They had their you know uh, uh, their other sustained run of pressure basically that last five minutes, and he made some some very good saves to, to bring the game to overtime. Um, it was just, and even though I think that the Huskies were all played both, both nights, uh, I thought it was a very intense series. The clearly the atmosphere on Saturday, the homecoming, the full house and throwback jerseys and all that played to the Huskies advantage. Uh, and it would have been a very, I wish I was there. I, I remember those. I remember those nights and, Obviously, coming off a season where we didn't have any fans, it was very nice to see such a, a, a raucous atmosphere uh, in the building. And again, all of that, we just, I mean, kind of summarizing the whole weekend, we all sort of lose all those little fine points and, and, and niceties, details of the game, and all sort of is dominated by this, by this overtime call. That's what's frustrating to me. Yeah. I want to I go back to the uh, Friday's game. The main... Uh, Big Ten uh, YouTube channel had the highlights and the, the the first comment about an hour after the, the video was loaded. It's tough sometimes to beat teams that have grown men on their team rather than college kids. But that's how teams like St. Cloud Stat, S-A-T-E, as he spelled it, and others like them recruit to win games. Keep working, boys. A ton of young talent on this gopher team. Sky Yumako. So I looked up, and the average age um, for the teams is uh, 22 for St. Cloud and 21 for the Gophers. And the average height and weight are both in the Gophers' favor. So <laughs> it just just love those arguments about 21-year-old freshmen. And, 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 well, and, and, and these arguments are not new at all. Yeah. Uh, I'm less concerned from someone leaving a – 
comment on a YouTube uh, page. More concerned when people like Don Lucia and the entire Big Ten Hockey Conference draft legislation to outlaw 21-year-old freshmen. It's what they did five, six years ago. <laughs> I forgot about that. I, I went back into the archives and read some of that stuff. You should He should read that himself because him now representing a conference like the CCHA, which kind of depends on older recruiting, uh, he would learn a thing or two. The whole thing kind of boiled down to I'm looking out for myself, they're looking out for their self. Mentioned just a quick, very quick gloss over of that. <laughs> the legislation went nowhere. Their legislation was, it wasn't actually outlawing 21-year-old freshmen. It was limiting their uh, their eligibility. If you came in as a 21-year-old freshman, you can only have three years you of eligibility. You can only have three years, yep. Uh, and he wanted to, to basically knock it down. It used to be, according to him, it used to be when he was at Fairbanks, which he, he salted that into his argument quite often to sort of get his little brother points. Um, and he said, well, when I was at Alaska, the, the, the age cap for an incoming freshman was 20, and we, he wants to bring it back down there. What was it uh, when uh, he was at Colorado College when he, went to the, uh, when he went to the championship game? He went to the yeah he went to the title game with CC. He was at Fair he was at Fairbanks before that yeah. for six seven years. Yeah. That's why it's a hollow comment. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, the Huskies have a couple of twenty five year olds on the team. Fitzgerald, at least one more. Uh, well, Brodzinski is twenty five. These players, they've had twenty five year olds in the past. This that. I think that was 1516 is when uh, Lucia made those comments or made that they had that they drafted that legislation, I think, in the summer of 2015, became a big a, a talker in the college hockey community for a couple of months. Well, I was going to say, and that was that was uh, that was I remember the Huskies played them down there. Uh, I think it was just a two gamer at Mariucci. I don't think it was a home and home, but I remember David Morley scored a game winner one of those games and he was a 25 year old senior at that point and so i think that was part of his uh part of his argument of that and he's he's sort of making the same argument that this uh youtuber not as elegantly put it the thing is uh st cloud's not breaking any rules no, no one that this the, they're they're operating within the rules and this year is a little different. I mean, Fitzgerald and, and Brodzinski would not be on the team if it weren't for the COVID exemption. Um, is a 24-year-old senior any worse than a 25-year-old 20, senior? I think that Crookshank for the Gophers is 24. Yep. So you're not breaking any rules, number one. Secondly, nothing is stopping the Gophers from bringing in a 25-year-old or having a 25-year-old senior. just that grasping of straws. Um, and, and the last thing I'll say is that that's for a lot of folks, for a lot of recruits, a lot of high-end recruits, uh, this is a feature, not a bug. I believe it was Jack Eichel who went on record, wins the Hobie is only you're playing with, with BU now NHL star. I think he's still injured. Um, I know there's, yeah, well, there's a, I mean, we get, there's him. a whole saga going on with Jack Eichel that we don't have time to get into. Yeah, but I remember his whole point was I could have played, I could have played juniors, I could have played a lot of different. I had a lot of options. Um, he could have played in the NHL. Uh, you know, he did play in the NHL as a 19-year-old. 
he could have played anywhere as a, as an 18 year old. And he chose college hockey specifically because he was going to play against older competition, playing against uh, Canadian juniors. You're playing as against as many 16 year olds are that you are against 20 year olds. He felt that it was a benefit to his development as a player, as a potential pro player to play against 24, 25 year olds, because he thought that that would, uh, you know, improve his skills. Uh, and that's not a unique sort of sentiment from especially pro, you know, guys that have pro aspirations. It's a, it's, it's specifically a reason that a lot of them choose to play college hockey. So I don't know why we're indulging a dumb YouTube comment, but you did indulge it for a lot longer than I thought you would. <laughs> I, I anticipate when I did see the roster this year and, you know, I think Will Hammer was 25 last year during the run. You just you, you anticipate these kind of these kind of arguments and they're they're frustrating and so it's nice to shoot them down when they do yeah. come up. So, but yeah, getting getting back to the series. Yeah, so let's um, let's quick um, you know Fenton's um, Josh Fenton's uh, comment or um, statement that uh, NCHC put out um, determined minor penalty or penalties should have been issued in the sequence immediately leading up to the game-winning goal in overtime during the University of Minnesota State Cloud State Contest. NCAA rules, interpretations do not allow for judgment calls of a minor penalties to be reviewed through the replay criteria. Disciplinary action of any game officials will be handled internally by the conference office. This was a first for as far as I'm concerned. I, I don't remember. I don't remember. Certainly I don't anything. remember the NCHC doing this. I don't know. Maybe the WCHA back in the day did something like this. I, I remember this happened when Mike Schmidt was the referee and he blew two calls back to back, but they were on. I, I know it was. He screwed over St. Cloud State and the next weekend he screwed over Wisconsin. Um, and this was back in, you know, mid aughts. And I, I remember the Wisconsin one specifically is because, um, it was a buzzer beater goal that went in like 0.7 seconds and, you know, in and out of the net and he called it no goal and then went to video review and apparently just asked for the video review to say just what did the overhead look like at 0.0 seconds, like right at the end. By that time, the puck was already in and out of the net. <laughs> so so WCHA ended up uh, kind of saying, hey, this happened to Mike Schmidt, and I don't think he refed another game that season. Which makes more sense if it's a a call like that, which is, you know, a, a, is it a goal or not? I, I've never seen a a statement, a public statement based on a penalty call. You know, this wasn't like someone shot the puck and it ripped through the net and they didn't call it a goal and then they didn't review it. And it's something like, something like that. Not, I was not expecting to see to hear any, any statement from the league. Um, My theory is that the statement the headline of the statement is that a penalty should have been called. Mike, Mike, I Schmidt really think I, a, Mike Schmidt played baseball for the Phillies, didn't he? He did. Hall of Famer. Okay. Okay. There was. Wait a, a I know there was. There was a Schmidt. Yeah. Randy Schmidt. Uh, that yeah. was his name. Randy, Randy Schmidt. Randy. Okay. <laughs> All right. 
Um, yeah, that's right. It was Wisconsin against Denver. Uh, WCHA spent, sent a letter. It was also a uh, referee game against St. Cloud State when a Denver goal was allowed to stand despite video evidence of goaltender interference. An apology was also sent to them. So Denver got the benefit for both of those calls? Yes. And that was probably in one of those years that they were they won the title? Uh, they it won was... it back-to-back back back there. What year What year was this? Uh, 2008. Oh, so this is after that, but... But anyway, back to my, my theory on the statement is that the headline is about the, the missed penalty. I, I think that the his main reason for issuing the statement was to grandstand about how terrible St. Cloud State fans are for littering the rink. Afterwards. Yeah, so the statement... Because continues. you're not... Yeah, uh, as uh, NCHC has a policy that outlines acceptable conduct and behavior for all parties taking part of the game. The actions by some fans within the Herb Brooks National Hockey Center at the conclusion of the contest were unacceptable under any circumstance and inconsistent with our mission, vision, and shared values. Endangering student-athletes, coaches, staff will not be tolerated. A conference will conduct a review of policies uh, with all member institutions to avoid these in the future. Quote, Although it is not and will not become conference protocol to provide public comment on judgment calls made by the game officials, the statement is being issued due to the significant impact on the game's outcome along with the dangerous aftermath. Yeah, the the 5% RPI points, significant (laughs) impact on the game. Yeah, I think he, he... I mean, I wouldn't really expect if there's any sort of discipline for the refs, maybe it's that they don't ref a game in St. Cloud the rest of the year. I don't think that they're going to lose income based on this call. And I don't expect them to. And, and it's, yeah. And and like you said, the point was really to say, to talk about, Hey, don't do that. But you don't, you know, don't throw stuff on the ice, which, you know, to be fair, don't throw stuff on the ice. It's dumb. Yeah, I'm not. Yeah, I'm not but, endorsing that. But but I mean, it was clearly get that. But it was like we have to address the elephant in the room. So let's just get that out of the way quickly. And really, it should have just been a non-statement. Then, if you're going to come out with that, I I just think just then stick your head in the sand and deal with it internally. And maybe maybe you do talk to Brett Larson about it and say, hey, this should have been. Um, you know, I just want to say from, you know, a background where I did. I was a referee for one year. And from the rest point of view, I know it looks like he was right in front of him, but what I think what happened is that the ref might have been looking at McLaughlin's stick, who, again, you know, I'd, we didn't talk about him that much earlier, but McLaughlin, I thought, also had a heck of a series. Um, but his, his, so his stick was also, you know, kind of on the right side of Pervix. And I think he was looking at that and Perbix going down and thinking the stick wasn't enough to pull him down, which it wasn't. And I don't think the ref maybe saw the jersey tug at all. And that's obviously the damning part. I think if you look at the angle where the ref was and where the, the jersey tug happened, I think you can make a point where that, you know, in that split second, that's what he didn't see. So he thought it was the stick. And then I could, I could buy that argument at yeah, and if I'm being the most gracious to the ref, I mean, his falling down was 
not just falling down. I mean, it it was a exaggerated, not, I'm not saying that it was embellished. I think it just, it looked worse than, because, I think a part of the factor is he's turning. He's going around yeah. the... He was on one skate when he pulled, was pulled. Yeah, and I think that if he's just, if they're going, you know, straight forward, he doesn't go down in such a... Uh, parenthetically shaped motion, if that makes sense. And so maybe it looked worse to the ref's eye uh, than not. I mean, you do have another ref on the ice yeah. who could have seen the could have seen the tug better if he's positioned differently. That that is a case where a guy in the corner might have been too close to have seen the the play. I don't know where the other ref is. I don't even know which ref it was, Egan or Stearns. That it was, made, that Stearns made was the in front. So he's the one right. that made he's the one that made the no call and then the motion yep. afterwards. Yep. Okay. Another thing I'll say, this might not be popular, but uh so Perbix is back up relatively quickly. It's a couple seconds goes by as you say McLaughlin looks back, kind of in anticipation of being called for the penalty. Mm-hmm. But then he realizes it's game on. So there's a couple of seconds there. At that point, the third Gopher player must have been playing, you know, Sammy way Walker. back in his in his. No, I'm saying the third player, whoever their third guy on the ice, other than Walker and uh, McLaughlin. Oh, he's not in the screen. He's not in the play at this point. You look at the replay. At that point, Pervix is back up on his feet, clearly in the play. It's not like he's out for the count. It's a two on three for the Gophers at that point. Huskies kind of play beehive hockey. They all go towards McLaughlin, leaving Walker completely exposed, and he walks in for the game-winning goal. Two on three there. I, I, I'm frustrated. I'm almost like the Huskies kind of said, "Well, we'll let the bad call beat us." Um, I see. I, I just I, was a I saw that. I that. saw that on Twitter, and I don't. I don't necessarily agree because I, I bet yes, it is beehive hockey, and it was very much like a panic. But that's how three-on-three is structured. That's the whole gimmick of three-on-three hockey is that you want these types of situations to happen because you want mistakes to happen because you want goals. You know, that's the whole structure behind it. And I don't agree with people saying that the Huskies gave up on the play because, yeah, there were two Huskies right around the puck trying to get it out, and they were thinking if we can turn this over, it's a three-on-one going the other way. And... Mm. And and McLaughlin was able. I don't know if it was you know, you know, an amazing play by him, or if it was a lucky bounce, or a combination of both. But he was able to get it to Walker, who Walker's not going to miss from there against anybody. But it's just you know, kind of the frustrations I have with three on three hockey. And it's like people say like, oh, it's not, you know, a shootout's not a way to determine games because it's not a team. And it's like, how is three on three any different? It's just a you just might have to pass once. It's just, it's not even that, it's not that different of a gimmick in my eyes that everybody seems to love. Completely agree that this will, yeah, this, we're dovetailing into all of my rants here. Um, yeah, I hate three on three. I hate it at the NHL level. I hate it at college. I hate it at any level. It is a gimmick. It's what it is. We don't play hockey with two forwards and one defenseman throughout 60 minutes of regulation. It's uh it's and you know, I, I'm glad that we're on the same page here because I think that we are in the minority here. Keep seeing, keep hearing, God, three on three, so fun. It's just back and forth, two on ones, and whatnot. 
it's manufactured fun. It's engineered fun. It's fake fun to me. And I realize that may, that might be sound like a dinosaur, but I hate it. And uh, get off my and, lawn. Yeah, you're remember. you're right. You're right that it's better than a shootout. But that's kind of like saying horse manure smells better than cow manure. They're both manure at the, at, when you when you boil down to it. Did you did you grow up on a farm? Do you know the difference? Could I, I you did smell not. The difference. I did not. I have been through the state of Iowa though. Ah. That that actually we just, we just alienated our whole Iowa listener fan base. <laughs> the the one person who's a big fan of the Sioux City Musketeers right now is really upset with us. Um, so yeah, I didn't. You know, unfortunately, I don't have a lot to comment. Um, when it comes to Friday's game, um, I was not able to watch it. Um, I had a wonderful date night. Oh, actually, with my wife. Parents came down to babysit. Um. I did think about maybe asking her if we wanted to go instead to a bar to watch the game. Um, but um, instead we watched, uh, we went out to a movie. We watched no time to die. So that's, I'm a, I'm a big bond fan. So yeah, as, as we, as we touched on last week, maybe you'll give me a review at the end. We, we don't want to get too sidetracked. <laughs> sidetracks like the name of this podcast. I mean, yeah, I we know, should, I know mind, yeah, we're mind going us. all over the place. <laughs> No, Friday, Friday was a good game. Like I said, it's the Duluth formula. Get all played, convert on your turnovers, uh, and then Renak was the star of the show. Uh, and he was keeping that up, <laughs> that the stack in the pads uh, on Saturday. He, he saw yeah, that, that, that windmill right. goal, that windmill save that he made when he stacked the pads. And, oh, that was just – At that – at that point, the goal for like, scored like this... 20 seconds later. But... Yeah, no, it's the, it's the next shot because you're thinking, God, this guy is unstoppable. And then they come down and he score. They score on I'm a goal. I'm sure he wants to have back. Uh, certainly not as flashy of a play as the as the pad stack. But and I thought the third goal for the Huskies or for the uh, Gophers too was kind of a light a light one. Um, so it was, but I, I mean. I thought he stole the the show on Friday and he was not the reason that the result ended as it did on Saturday. So another good weekend for, for Red Eye. Very, very good weekend. I thought he was really strong on Saturday. Um, like I said, I don't, none of the goals were really his fault. Um, you know, there was that, I mean, a little bit of a leaker, but that's also a heck of a shot um, uh, that I, believe that one was that Bryce's shot I think um so that's you know I thought he continued his really strong play one thing that kind of caught my eye as well is during one of the replays of the uh game-winning goal on Saturday is you know the overhead feed and there was a time where Rennick like was almost going to smash his stick over the crossbar but he like did like a check swing and and it didn't actually do it and was just kind of like let out a big exhale and whatnot. Um, I found that was kind of telling in a way that you know, like 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 I said, I believe last week is you know when he makes a save and whatnot, he's just very calm. You know, drops the puck, pushes it over, and even in that scenario, he was able to kind of get calm and it gives that little thing kind of gives me a little bit of real I don't know relaxation I guess is 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 the word but like it makes me feel good about 
you know, him overcoming some of the issues that he's had um, in the past where, where he lets in a goal and then everything kind of snowballs, especially, you know, during his tenure, if he lets in a goal early, you know, it can kind of snowball and get out of hand really quickly. Um, but the way he acted, even in that situation right at the end, um, where he was able to kind of co- collect himself and be like, I don't know, Zen in that in that second and, and, and whatnot, that, that gives me a lot of hope here for the future. So when you say the, um, you know, you, you feel like the Huskies might kind of cling on to this, um, you know, being screwed over, that kind of mentality. Overall, are you not as, like, where where do you stand right now with the Huskies? I mean, we just had two heck of a series against two very good teams. So we can't let that, uh, you know, kind of go unnoticed. But It's a good transition because I was kind of going there. Uh, I Kind of my initial reactions after the weekend was I am kind of getting a little concerned about the uh, the scoring uh, and the scoring depth. Um, but at the same time, thinking about it more, you did play two top-notch teams the last couple of weeks. Um, and maybe the scoring is not there. I think that the the team defense is certainly better. Um, and I was going to shout out some that uh, saw Chris Molinar and Spalacy line on Friday. I thought was excellent. Josh Lutke played both games. Um, and from a defensive standpoint, I thought he was impressive. From from a compete I level. I also thought Bushy and, was impressive too. Yeah. From a compete level and from a defensive structure uh, angle, a lot to like. And that's not surprising because I think that's Larson's M.O., or and, his, and his, his preferred and, and Shyak's preferred style of play. I'm just again willing to chalk it up to playing tougher opponents, and I think starting with Wisconsin, which doesn't look like the Wisconsin of last year, for instance, and then once you get into the start of the conference schedule, which you got CC and uh, right off the bat, I I'm hoping. And again, this is a team that put up 12 goals the first game, so you know, granted a lesser opponent St. Thomas, but this team is capable of scoring a bunch of goals. Um, but since that 12-2 game, two goals, zero goals, three goals, two goals, three goals. And you had Hentges out for two and a half of those games, came back on Saturday and played quite well, I thought, scored the first goal, right? I believe so. Yep. Um so, I mean, you're dealing with some injuries. But at the same time, too, this is the same team basically coming back from last year. This isn't – we're not talking about a, you know, you know, a bunch of guys left, all your scoring left, and we're, we're trying to get chemistry established. These guys have played with each other for a full season for the most part, played on lines together for at least full seasons or – full season or seasons. So that does concern me a bit. Um but again, like we said last week about Mietin and and, and, and Cran, I'll give them a month to see how things are before we make a bold statement like, you know, is this team for real or, or where's the offense or any of those kind of bold statements. I'm still going to stick to that. But my concern level is heightened a little bit. How about yours? 
Uh, yeah, it's what, what I'm happy about at least is team defense is doing incredibly well. Like you said, Redick is also being incredibly stout and I think the scoring will come um, because I've been, you know, I've been impressed with um, obviously uh, Nolan Walker has had a heck of a start to the series season. I thought um, Okabe played uh, incredibly well as well on, on, on Saturday. I think I thought he was kind of just all over the ice. Um, kind of, kind of reminds me of like a Johnny Swanson type player, but somebody I think can score a little bit more than Swanson could. So I think that's going to come, um, but it's still, you know, a, I, I'm, st- I'm still a little bit frustrated. Yeah, with. You know that that we're not seeing just a little bit more productive, and like I said, we still don't have a guy that doesn't have that game-breaking ability. Um, and you know, Easton is—I um, don't think was as effective on 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 Saturday um, as as he was kind of earlier in the season. So that's that's just kind of my thoughts. And obviously, it might take a little bit for him to kind of still get the training and get his everything kind of underneath them as far as the conditioning goes so that's you know it, it just makes me feel good that at least the defensive side of it everything is t- top notch and probably kind of our one of our best i would say just overall team defenses that we've had in probably many years uh, oh, yeah. you know we've had a very good pairings top pairings and then we'll have you know maybe a second good pairing in there or at least one of them that's dynamic and the other one is you know all right and kind of plays you know that we can kind of piece in there but i think everybody you know all you know if you dress seven defensemen usually we have and been able to rotate them all in i thought all of them have been doing fantastic and i praise zemer too and he i don't i don't know if he played on friday um i don't think he did but i don't think so so you know, just to know that we have that type of depth, that's 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 a good place to be. So, and that's going to keep you in games. You know, if you're stout defensively, you know that can that can paper over some of the offensive struggles. Whereas if you, you know, if you can score a little bit but give up a bunch, that's not as good of a recipe. Uh, so, yeah, like I said, the two to one score on Friday, that's a win for for Renek and the, in the defensive core. And, and you have to convert on those, on those chances that you do get, you know, for years, it seemed like the Huskies, even in, you know, the high flying lots go. And then that first Larson year, it seemed like even then breakaways, uh, it was just a struggle for the Huskies to score breakaway goals. Wasn't it several years getting back to horse manure shootouts, several years, when they started those shootouts, the Huskies didn't even score a goal in yep. those shootouts yep. until like the third or fourth year that they were doing them. Yeah. So it's nice to see Cranola scored that penalty shot in the uh, tournament last year. Uh, and he picks his spot here and goes in and makes a nice move and, and scores the first goal on, that, on that Friday. That was a smooth goal. That was nice. Yeah. It's nice to know that these guys can, uh, can finish a, a breakaway chance. Um, and so, yeah, if you're opportunistic like that and 
and our, our solid on the back end, it's going to keep you in games. Um, let's just hope to see that the offense starts to click here. And uh, maybe we can use that as a transition to, to re- previewing the Wisconsin series coming up this weekend. The um, And if you ever want to know what Brett Larson is feeling, um, you know, check out his Twitter page. But he's not going to tweet from it, but he'll definitely you'll definitely find it in the likes section. So it is <laughs> he'll he'll like a lot of tweets about how uh, about what he feels and whatnot. So, um, you know. Sponsored segment, Go Huskies Woo, um, the, the 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 premier smack talker of Husky hockey on on the Twitters. Uh, player of the weekend. Um, do do you want to guess on who we picked as the player of the weekend, um, or should I just tell you? I'm not, I'm gonna say he didn't go with Renak twice in a row. Correct. Am I right there? Yep. Um. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I don't think he, he. I don't know. Tell me. It went with the NCHC Rookie of the Week, Jack Peart. Well, there you go. I think that's a good call. I didn't know. I didn't realize he that that they that he was the NCHC Player of the Week or Ro- was it Rookie of the Week. Rookie of the Week. Yeah, I can see that. Like I said, the first he took a penalty early in the in the Friday game. I'm like, here we go again. He's kind of cutting corners, uh, taking taking some dumb penalties. Um, but after that, I, I was thoroughly impressed uh, with him. Yep. And so that's the that's the kind of you know the the progress that is made from from true, especially true freshmen, as is the case with Pert. Um, sometimes there's that learning curve and. I'm not saying he's fully surmounted that, um, but I think playing the tough, tougher competition right off the bat here has kind of strengthened him and and made him a better player quicker mm-hmm. than if they were to play I don't know three series against the Atlantic hockey teams or something like that. Um, so I, yeah, I'm impressed. I, 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 don't I, that, I, I don't know. Knowing our history against Atlantic hockey teams, I don't know if that's you want to throw them under. The yeah, bus. and they're. I mean, they Bentley. Beat BC six to two. Yeah, the, a couple of weeks ago, they had three wins against Big Ten teams. So the Atlantic Hockey is not uh, that league has definitely risen uh, over the years. Yeah, and they're not the easy out that they once were. So not to yeah, not to throw shade on an entire conference of teams, but I guess I did. But very quietly, I mean, Pierre has uh, four points in six games, leading defenseman and. Um, yeah, I thought I thought he played. Like I said, I only saw Saturday's game, but I thought he played incredibly well um, that day or that game. So, I think that's uh, a good pick and probably who I would have gone with as well. So. All righty, well, switching Wisconsin, over. Wisconsin, old friend, I, and like, uh, in my opinion, I thought Barry Alvarez uh, created the Big Ten Hockey Network or the Big Big Ten Hockey Conference, so that uh, Wisconsin didn't have to travel uh, to the towns, or lose to, I guess, uh, colleges like um, St. Cloud and and whatnot anymore. So to see them come here uh, was a shock to me, and uh, I'm kind of excited for the series. Uh, Probably probably more, more so than kind of your normal fan would be. 
No, I am too. I believe, yeah, they haven't played at all since the conference split. So this would have been 2013 in the Fro- or Fro- or, uh, Final Five, which Wisconsin beat them that year. Uh, Joel Rumpel was the goalie. That would have been the, that would have been the last time that these two teams played. Uh, lots is lots of things have changed in the interim. Wisconsin there took a bit of uh, a hit as a program moving into that new conference. As it turned out, I believe they won the conference, or no, they didn't. No, Gophers won it the first year, but they made the tournament the first year. Wisconsin did, but then the bottom fell out. Eves gets fired after a couple of single win, single digit win seasons. Uh, and Tony Granado takes over, former NHL player and coach, head coach. Um, I was a bit surprised when he took that job. Uh, but, you know, Wisconsin alum, and he took a couple of years of, of getting used to the college game. But last year, you know, were a number one seed in the, in the tournament. Crapped out against Bemidji State. Uh, had the Hobie Baker winner in Cole Caulfield who's now with the Montreal Canadiens. And so last year was was the first uh, postseason run for them in quite some time. And as is kind of typical with Big Ten teams, uh, especially the the main players there, um, I guess they're all traditional powers, but um, it seems that that how that conference has evolved is it's become a sort of freshman showcase league. Bring in top talent, and, I, and they're gonna let you know they're gonna last a year or two, and then they're gonna bolt to the NHL. Uh, and because of that, you you seem to have some some programs like Wisconsin and and Michigan State, for instance, that have struggled towards the bottom of the standings uh, in years past. Obviously, Wisconsin had a good year last year. But so far this year, uh, they lost their top four scorers from last year. Caulfield, obviously, number one. They had a couple of 40-point guys or 35-plus-point guys. And Weisbach and Holloway also left uh, or graduated or didn't didn't return, at least. So, And it seems like that's what they're struggling with so far. They got handled pretty well against Michigan Tech at home, losing a couple of, you know, five to one and five to two games there, and then had to struggle against an army team uh, over this last weekend, winning a four to one game. That was essentially a two to one game with a couple of empty netters and then a one nothing game. So we're talking about St. Cloud offensive issues. Uh, it seems like Wisconsin is struggling to find new scoring to replace the, the old scoring. Uh, I'm expecting that they are going to be a step down in competition from the Gophers. Um, that's partly to give the Gophers credit because I, I was impressed by by their play this weekend. But with the more the experience factor is going to play definitely going to play a role here this weekend. So yeah, I know that we're all we're always picking sweeps uh, and and pretty positive when it comes to Husky predictions here. And it's always tough to, you never want to say that the Huskies are going to lose, right? It's kind of, we're, we're almost kind of bound to. Well, we don't, we don't lose. 
Yeah. I mean, even when we lose, it's actually just yeah. really a glorified tie. All right, forty-five percenters. Um, so, but I am, I, I am, look, I'm more, con- much more confident this weekend that the Huskies, if the Huskies play the way they played against the Gophers against Wisconsin, I'll, I'll sound the red alarm at that point. Um, I'm expecting good things this weekend. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, you look at Wisconsin has only been averaging two goals a game. Um, their power play is clicking at 9% right now. Their penalty kills at 70%. So this, I mean, this has got sweep kind of written all over it. And if anything less than that, I'd be absolutely shocked. And disappointed. And incredibly disappointed. I want to put a high bar on, on this team. Yeah, this is kind of a statement weekend. You know, especially after an emotional ending to the Minnesota series, there always is that possibility of a you know a letdown the following week. I sure hope not to see that. Yeah, it's going to be really fun to kind of watch. You know, you got home against uh, Wisconsin, and then at uh, Colorado College in their new their new digs, um, and just kind of see kind of the difference in competition that we're going to face and kind of really gauge where St. Cloud State is at. Because I'm, I'm just not expecting that much out of, out of Wisconsin. And you can tell how top-heavy and how much Caulfield like, really carried that team. Right. I'm excited to see uh, Roman Ashan, brother of former Husky Jack Ashan. They have another brother, Grant, I'm going to say, who's committed to St. Cloud. So we're not quite done with the Ashan name, assuming that the St. Cloud recruit will 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 uh, arrive in St. Cloud in time. But uh, the good the good news is with uh, that name, we know how to pronounce it. Yes, Yert. I I'm still going Rush style. I'm You're still going, still going Neil Pert, huh? Yeah, but until we hear otherwise. Which I do. I mean, I listen to KBSC again and see like they were going kind of back and forth. Peart and Pert and Peart. There's like a two-syllable version of it. Again, the pronunciation guide doesn't do any favors because it's P-E slash A-R slash T. And I don't think I've ever had a pronunciation guide where just a consonant. <laughs> just one T. It's just ridiculous. If you're listening and you have some sort of access um, to the players, do us a favor and confirm that pronunciation if you could. Uh, ask him how to pronounce it. Yeah, I mean, go, go right know, to the horse's mouth. We we did get uh, some good transit or uh, traction from the uh, KVS, KVSC announcers after you know we uh, we gave them a little bit of a shout out, or I would say you gave them the shout out. I I kind of just uh, amplified the message, um, but you. You definitely gave them the shout out that uh, th- that they were remarkable and you another know. good weekend. I thought for them. Yeah, I I, lis- I listened to both games. I synced up the audio and the video. Uh, I'm guaranteed, even though I didn't listen to a second of it, guaranteed it was better than Ben Clymer and whoever he was doing the game with on Friday night. Uh, so yeah, they're still uh, still impressive. They even had a cu- they had two on ice guys or ice level. Uh, 
commentators. Did as they? Well. So did they have intermission interviews? No, they went back. They they like go back to the studio. There was like a couple of other. I, I think those are two other guys. Okay. I don't know. Usually in the intermissions, I'm digging bathroom breaks. So I I don't really listen to that. Hate with a passion intermission interviews. It doesn't matter who's giving it. It doesn't matter what the score is. I never learn anything. Hockey players never say anything interesting. It's absolutely terrible to listen to intermission interviews, and I wish they would die in a fire. Okay, what's worse, intermission interviews or in-game coach interviews? Oh, man, those, I hate those, those, are, those are two sides of the same coin. At least, and you could tell the coach why, why the coach would hate to do that. It's yeah, like, I mean, I can see it's I can see coach in the intermission. Maybe even I, I don't really I'm not a, I don't really get much out of interviews. Period. But not don't interrupt him in the middle of a game flow like that seems to be the, in, an imposition. NHL on NBC used to always do that, and it was it was always just kind of your same generic answers as well. Because yeah, I hate those too. At least with those, you get some sense of a little bit of passion, depending on you know what it is. But you know, if you if you got someone like, uh, geez, what's his name, like Mike Babcock or whatnot, it's like you're not getting anything out of him. Just just save us all thirty seconds. Not only that, but like TV and radio sometimes can do just the statements instead of questions, or just you know talk about this or anything, yeah. and it's like. And it's like, it seemed like you guys were really able to turn up the pressure right there. Yeah, we were able to turn up the pressure and uh, kind of get some shots forward. We got to just uh, kind of keep that up going to the next period and hopefully come out with a W. Boom. Every intermission interview ever. I just did it for you. Copy and Stupid. paste. Stupid. Well, do you have a uh, prediction on scores this weekend? Um, I'm thinking Okabe uh, is going to have a big weekend. And I think Chase Brand. I think I think he's going to break out one of these. Um, I've, uh, been, uh, kind of a fan of how he's playing, um, as well, but, um, I just, I just don't think that goal scoring touch is there, but I think, I think he's going to get one this weekend. So that's going to be my major prediction. Yeah. Let's get, let's get Okabe on the board. I don't, he may have scored in, in, in that 12 to two game. I kind of forget so many, so many goals in that game, but it feels like he's had his chances. He's not been a invisible player by any means, but um, he's been stymied uh, the last two weekends. So yeah, I'd like to to wake him up, or at least just wake up the 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 score sheet uh, with his name on it. Yeah, he scored two goals, um, one goal each game against St. Thomas, um, but that's it. But I felt like he's been good and kind of all yeah, oh yeah. So you, you've been noticing all here. Um, couple of uh, Twitter questions. Um, that I actually remembered to post this time. So, um, let me. Uh, obviously, good friend of the show, Dan Jacobson. Best pregame bar slash food in Dinky Town. And so I had to kind of actually go back to last time I went actual downtown. Um, you know, kind of in the Dinky Town area, and um, I was a big fan of Sally's, and I don't know if that was if that's still open. 
<laughs> but that was always kind of uh, my my go-to place was uh, Sally's Bar and Grill. Um, it's kind of where, where we started that. I think I've been there. I'm not overly familiar with Dinky Town. Um, I know one of the series we took a bus from one of the bars down there. I can't even remember what the name was. I will say when I went to a fair amount of go for football games back in the day because I had a cousin that played linebacker for him. Oh. And this would have been late aughts, mid to late. He was like, oh, five. He was a year older than me, but I think he was redshirted. I think he was 05 to 08. Yeah, because he was the, he was there the. Was that Brewster? The, uh, for, he was there the first Brewster year. So he was there. Mason brought him in and then. So he played three years. He was a starter. John Shevlin, uh, shout out. He started at least, I think, the last three years. He was middle linebacker. So anyway, I would go to a fair amount of games there and, uh, you know, a couple of uncles and my parents. It was kind of a Reese family outing uh, when they would play those games. We would always go. It's not in Dinkytown. I don't even know what part of the cities it's in, but it was a bar called Manning's. Not Manny's. Not the <laughs> I was going to say, steakhouse. ooh, you're going ritzy here. No. No, it was a more of a divey place called Manning's. It was like off like Energy uh, Plaza or whatever that road. It's, it's I think it's close to like the state fairgrounds. Um, if if I get if I have my geography right, but they had the thing there is they had what they called the bird baths. It was like a thirty-two ounce schooner glass of beer, and but it it was you know it looked like the Stanley top of the Stanley Cup almost. Uh, so we'd have a couple of those after those games, and you know they just have greasy hamburgers or whatever. So I, my, my the main memories I have of um, post game or pre game bar celebrations it would have been at Manning's. Uh, but but yeah, let's go Sally's. That's our official. <laughs> that's our official. Uh, like I said, I want to say it closed, but I don't really remember a hundred percent. Do you have a? I don't know if favorite is the right word but do you have a um specific memory um when it comes to you know a minnesota minnesota sinkhold state kind of series or game down at mariucci um i watched mainly go for wins unfortunately um which was unfortunate yeah, I remember there was a. I do remember going there. This would have been in Lucia's lean years. There was a couple years. Remember the year that they lost to Anchorage in mm-hmm. the playoffs, and they were not making the tournament at all. It was in one of those years that the Huskies they they did not play well and they they lost. But I just remember that we were sitting next to or in front of a row behind whatnot of it was like this older 60s couple in their 60s and the woman is cross stitching during the game and it just it it uh and whenever the gophers scored it was like a five to one game or something it it was almost she was like bothered to okay we got to get up and clap (laughs) and, and it just kind of embodied the feel of the program at that point it was just apathy and you know, that building was was not full at all, and uh, even though they won the game, it just they were just going through the motions. Uh, there was so I do remember there was a girl, girl. There was a woman behind the benches in the Stanley Cup playoffs, and I want to say Pittsburgh, maybe. 
Um, but she would like knit and it was always right behind the coaches. So she'd always be knitting, but she'd be watching the game and she'd be into it. And I remember she got a lot of flack because it's like, Oh, you don't come to the hockey to knit. And they actually interviewed her and it's just, she gets so nervous, like she fidgets. And so it's just a way to keep her hands busy while she's watching the game. Uh, so I thought that that was kind of interesting because, you know, you get, you talk to people who knit or whatnot. I mean, it, it's just second nature to them, you know, on, on what to do. So it's, you know, and it, that's anytime I, I think of people doing some type of activity like that, that's kind of always the first thing I thought. Maybe she was so into it. Um, but if she was eye rolling, uh, you know, when goals were scored <laughs> or whatnot, eh, maybe that's not the case. Maybe her husband dragged her. Yeah, I can't say that I was at, you know, a great, I remember, I mean, the 8-7 the to seven game, I was not there watching it on Ooh. TV, though. I was but at that, that was, game. Really, I would oh, yeah. would have died and gone to heaven if I was at that game. That was kind of the game that really cemented my Husky fandom. Uh, it was, uh, I still remember watching the game with roommates, you know, I was, would have been sophomore? I don't, I don't think there's ever been a feeling. Uh, like, I don't think I'll ever feel about hockey that as I do with that game. Like that game just encompasses everything, and I'm not like if it's eight to seven. Obviously, there was sloppy play, um, and sometimes sloppy pay, play isn't fun to watch. But just the emotions of everything going through, and just kind of the whole buildup where the Gophers were hugely favored, and you could tell that you know the Huskies team was on the right track, but not quite there yet um you know huskies needed to get the make the tournament huskies needed to make the uh you know get the win to make the tournament and then you know well they, all, they needed to win the whole they needed to win the wcha tournament the, the the final five to get in they did not they lost to dakota they lost but, to dakota yeah. yeah that would have been their last game of the season had they not won Except for the third place, <laughs> the lovely WCHA third place game. But oh, I suppose, I suppose they would have they yeah. would have had to play that game. Um, but yeah, that um, back and forth eight to seven game was obviously something that I mean, I don't want to sound like it's uh, hyperbole or anything, but I'll take that game to my grave. <laughs> like, just like I said, the atmosphere, range of emotion. I mean, it was at that time probably the biggest. Um, crowd for a, a college hockey game in Minnesota. Um, it was... That would have been the that would have been the peak of attendance. Oh five oh six, I think was the yep. peak year across college hockey. But I think it was that year, or maybe it was oh five. The Gophers played Mankato at the X during the regular season. I think Mankato took. I think they were One the of their home, home teams. Yep. And we saw this with St. Cloud and St. Thomas. They draw, drew like 4,000 fans there. That Mankato-Gopher game sold out 18,000 yeah. in the building that night. Uh, I, and so, and that, that, that era ended for a variety of factors, um, but the, the Big Ten split is really what, what killed that. I mean, it, the, the recession, 08 recession, had a factor in it as well. But even that last true final five 2013 
that was still sold out X. Yep. And I don't. That I had the perfect the, storm, though, also of teams, but all of the Minnesota teams ended up losing. Like that had the makings of being just end it with a right. bang. And then Wisconsin I, and CC. Wisconsin, and CC, Denver, and I can't remember who the other team was, but it was just probably North Dakota. <laughs> but it was that was. But and I, I have not been to the X since they've hosted the NCHC tournament. I can't. I don't. They're not selling that building out though oh, yet, no. have they? No. So it's it. We, you know, I, I pine for those days of yeah. we all buildings do. and just you know this weekend too. My dad, you know, he, he we back in the day we'd we'd be back and forth sniping about you know he's he's a Gopher fan and you know and I'd be go huskies woo and he'll be like go for nation and it's just you can't i can't even bother him really to do getting he didn't watch any of these games uh and i'm like even i said saturday game it's on fox nine i'm fishing <laughs> and so it's it's uh it's frustrating although yeah. you know he really enjoys that and I, i'm not saying that he needs to watch it or not but it's just it's frustrating because it was a. Uh, it was a really fun, and even with Wisconsin coming in this weekend, you know, we have our set of uh, memories when Huskies and Badgers would would play. My brother went to Wisconsin, so um, you know we went to a couple of games. You know, this is when I was season ticket holder, but I he'd come up for a, for a Wisconsin St. Cloud game. He was not he's not huge into into the Badger hockey team, but um, we'd still you know it was still fun to to get together those games, and um, it was a I mean, not was not one of the Huskies' top rivals, but uh, there it was always interesting playing playing Wisconsin. And so, yeah, this may be a kind of a rush of nostalgia just because we haven't seen Wisconsin on the schedule in so long. And back to the WCHA days, and to think about those days, it, we can kind of go down memory lane for a little bit. Yeah. Um, just just to kind of crawl back though to that oh that oh six final five. You know, then North Dakota, St. Cloud State in the championship game. Um, I remember there was a tweet from Rusty Kath, who used to do, like, the in-game entertainment. Um, He said that... For who? For the XL. Like, he was hired by the XL to do, like... like, Yeah, he's doing... He's doing twin stuff for WCCO, and I listened to him over the summer. I'm like, God, I I recognize that name, but I don't know how... So thank you for <laughs> for connecting connecting that dot. Yeah, you're welcome. Um, but I think he tweeted out something like the atmosphere is amazing. It's like a recommended .08 blood alcohol content to get in <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> for the St. Cloud State North Dakota game. Um, and then yeah, Husky score. You know, five minutes in, three minutes in, or something like that, like right away. So I'm like. Like this is this could be happening, and then I think North Dakota rattles off the next two in like twenty seconds or something like that. It, it was like oh. there was another one. There was another championship game where the Huskies scored like two goals in the first minute, and then I think that was twenty ten, and then I don't think that two nothing lead lasted five minutes. Uh, there was a couple of those near misses against uh, Dakota in the title game in that era. Yeah, that was always 
frustrating. <laughs> I mean, North Dakota always. Especially that first, that 06, that 06 year, because he needed to win that game to get in to the tournament. In 2010, the Huskies had cemented a spot in the tournament that, so that that game was not as important. He still would love to have beaten North Dakota, but uh, oh, you always love to win that. More, more on the line oh, yep, in that 06 game. Yep, 2010. Was it in the first minute? Yeah, Garrett, Garrett, it, Garrett Raboyne. Was it Mosey? Uh, Forty seconds, and then David Eddy, fifty-five seconds. Thought, for some reason I thought Mosey was in there, but. Um, but I will say like my favorite kind of memory going down to, um, Mario, Mariucci, it's kind of capped off with, a it capped off the go or a sweep of the Gophers, um, where, um, St. Cloud won at home five to one. And that was with Brocklehurst, Frazee, Frazee's last game and wearing the University of Minnesota when he No. That was another year. I was in the building for that one. Yeah, are you talking seven? Frazies, I think, was oh eight. It was a different weekend, I'm positive. I know what you're talking about. I believe that oh seven series, because this is still when Geffert was on. Yeah. Okay. Those there's like ten minutes of highlights on YouTube of that game yeah. that you're talking about, yeah. the 07 game. Take a look at that, Husky fans, um, if you haven't seen it. Oh, it's because wonderful. The, talk about the atmosphere in that building. Yeah. Holy cow. Yeah, and then I went to the game at Mariucci uh, where the Huskies won 5-3. to three. Um, And I, I remember because I had, me and my buddy, we went to, Home Depot beforehand to buy brooms um, and, uh, you know, try to carry them in. Obviously, they took it away from us. But um, for a while, we were just sweeping, like, the logo when you walk into Mariucci and then, like, sweeping right in front of Gophers fans as they're walking. Oh, oh, hold on. Let me let me let me just sweep that up for you right there. (laughs) Quick. Um, sat next to the student section. They were just uh, razzing me. I'm razzing back. And, yeah, St. Cloud State ends up winning 5-3. to three. Um, That I'll always remember because, I mean, at that, like, Huskies, Gophers, like, both teams were incredibly good those years. Um, so it was it was a lot of, lot, lot of fun. It was, it was, that was, that was a memorable, memorable series for sure. So that's my best uh, bar and pregame spot at Dinky Town. Uh, yeah, we were we who really would cover all the bases there. Yep. Who would win in a fight, Jeff Finger or God? Um, which is the question is wrong because Jeff Finger Jeff is Jeff Finger is God. So that's uh, easy answer right there. So. That's today's. That's our dose of blasphemy, <laughs> right? Um, rumor has it, though, that uh, St. Cloud State is honoring the 20th anniversary of the uh, Final Five championship team um, in, you know, obviously in 01. And uh, Jeff Finger was on that team. So hopefully Jeff yeah. Finger will get back to the building. And um, So they're going to have, like, all the guys come back? I mean, 
all of them are that are available and probably want to. <laughs> I, I would imagine we'd get like five. <laughs> I don't I don't know how strong the alumni support there is for for those for that group. I don't know if Arneson's clamoring to come back. I don't think a lot of those players like Craig Dolfer <laughs> for various reasons, but I would love to see that they did. Hardigan yeah. was still robbed for Hobie, so it's just kind of I don't know. You're a reunion for a team that didn't win an NCAA tournament game. I mean, it was it was their first big big year. Yeah, you know, won the Final Five and. Lose to Michigan. <laughs> so. Was that the? Uh, was it one? Was it one of them? Was that Hardigan hit the post? Yeah. Was it that no, year? Or was it, I, know I don't know if he hit. The was post that the year even. after? I think. I think he just deked and missed it in that entirely. I don't think he even got that close where he hit the post. Oh, that's frustrating. Yeah. Why'd you bring that up? That's depressing. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> so. Um. Perfect. Yep. Um. We can split our sweep. For for the go or for the St. Cloud State, that's kind of my prediction there. Um, I would assume your prediction as well. Um, if if we don't sweep, I think we're going to have a lot to talk about. Set the over under at eight and a half goals for the Huskies. Eight and a half for this goals. weekend. God, I would I, I would hope the over, but I might take the under. I don't even. Okay, know. I'll go the. I'll I'll go the over. Okay, perfect. Controversy, controversy. We'll date. <laughs> so He's liking that wine, <laughs> right? <laughs> so perfect. Well, that about does her. So thank you everybody for uh, tuning in, and we'll uh, talk to you next week. Go Huskies! Woo! Woo!